the Happy Afloat podcast, tales of family adventures at sea. Hello and welcome aboard. Back for more? You know the drill. Boys, shuffle up, make some room. Now sit down and make yourself at home. I am Jason, skipper of Happy Float. Meet Leon. Hello. And Conrad. Ahoy there, shipmates. And my lovely wife, Sarah. Hello. Do you want to sail around the UK with your family? You do? Excellent. You are in the right place. Well, the less adventurous... The basket weaving class is next door. Owning and sailing a boat in UK waters is a great way of spending time with the family. And we want a lot more families to take the plunge. We have been passing on our knowledge and experience to kickstart your adventures. So your family can start collecting the memories that will last a lifetime. The sailing season is here. No more talk of soft furnishings. It's time to sort out your boat systems so you can go sailing further afield. Day sailing from marinas is good fun. But the real adventure starts when you can anchor out. Maybe overnight. Maybe a couple of nights. Even a week or two between marina visits. Too reliant on that shore power? In this episode, we'll help cut that umbilical cord. So you won't need to invest in that five mile long shore power cable. Talk to Nigel. Do you know Nigel? Nigel who? Nigel Calder? No. No. What? Nigel is the boat systems guru. Do not start on any upgrades until you have consulted him. Now, I am sure he's a very busy man and hard to get hold of. Fortunately for us, he has distilled his knowledge into a massive tome called Boat Owner's Mechanical and Electrical Manual, currently on its fourth edition and weighing in at 960 pages. It's an expensive book, but it should be in your shopping basket. We always have a copy on the boat. It has solved all sorts of problems for us. You've got the power. But how much power? And more importantly, how much power are you using? Ideally, you should have two battery banks. One bank probably with a single battery that's just used for starting the engine and no other loads. It has an easy life and is kept topped up by the alternator. If the battery is not too old, you won't need to worry about it until it struggles or fails to start the engine. More about that later. The other bank will be your domestic one, which will have one or more batteries linked together. Forming a big store of energy for fun and games. Running everything electrical from lights, fridge, GPS, chart plotters, TV, game consoles, coffee frothers 
and the rest. We need to keep an eye on this bank and treat it with care. The fun stops when we've used the last drop of energy. Batteries are a bit like piggy banks. Unless you count how much you have put in and taken out, you won't know how much you have. Now you could weigh the piggy bank to get an estimate of how full it is. Which is a bit like checking the voltage of a battery bank. But we need something more accurate. Like a battery monitor that will keep track of amps both in and out. Amps are a measurement of stored energy, or more accurately, watts divided by voltage. Or we could just call them units of fun. No. Oh. You can smash a pee bank to find how much is inside. But the piggy bank is now broken. Smashing a battery will not tell you how many units of fun are left inside. Amps. But the battery will also be broken and your boat will be a mess. Our first three boats all had the same NASA Marine battery monitor, the BM-1. Currently, we have a Victron Energy BMV712 smart battery monitor. Either will work fine depending on your budget. The Victron is more expensive, but it does have a nice Bluetooth app and shows historical data. NASA Marine does have a Bluetooth version, but we haven't tried it. But by NASA's own admission, it is basic. NASA's display is bigger, so if you struggle with your eyes, it's a consideration. Although I like the small footprint of the Victron, and we access the data via the app anyway. More on apps, Bluetooth and displays later. Once the battery monitor is up and running... You can keep track of where the amps are going. Unplug the shore power and keep track of your typical usage for 24 hours. Or try to work out the likely usage with some maths and a spreadsheet. To produce the total number of amps used for the day. We now have a baseline to work from. You want to reduce your amp footprint while maintaining comfort. Things to think about. How much does the fridge use? Have you insulated it? Have you tried a not-so-cold temperature? If you haven't already, swap to LED for all lighting, including the anchor light. LED lighting is possibly the biggest potential energy saver on a boat. Old chart plotters use a lot of juice, so consider an upgrade or even a tablet. We will talk about chart plotters and navigation instruments in a future episode. Once you know how many amps you are going to use between recharges, you can size your domestic battery bank. Or you can learn to live within the current capacity of your existing bank. From now on, when we talk about batteries, we are referring to lead acid. We have yet to use any other type of battery. Nigel's book will cover this in greater depth, but simply put, you don't want to use more than 50% of your domestic bank amps. The manufacturer's specifications should give details of how many times the battery can be discharged to 50%. Cheap batteries, not so many times, maybe a hundred. Expensive batteries, a thousand or so. Our current batteries are good for around 200 discharges to 50%. If we were to abuse them, they would need replacing every couple of years with our usage. Although relatively cheap, we don't want the hassle and waste of replacing our batteries that regularly. So we plan on using only a third of the bank's capacity, which will increase the life of the batteries considerably. Some actual figures from our setup. Our domestic bank is 280 amps. One third of that is 93 amps. We typically use 50 to 60 amps a day. 
A little more if it's movie night or gaming on the TV screen, and a lot more if it's an overnight passage and we use the autopilot. Playing safe, we can stay out on the hook for two days without recharging. Or if we are happy to lose one of our 200 lives, then three days. So, not very long before we need to start thinking about running the engine to recharge or heading to a marina to plug in. Which is fine if you need to motor somewhere or go to a marina. But what if you spend a couple of days in a lovely anchorage and the weather is perfect for sailing to the next remote anchorage? You've got to get the power. Running the engine just to charge up the battery so you can go sailing? We don't think so. Solar is the answer. We have 300 watts of panels on a DIY goalpost-style arch that can be tilted towards the sun. We have photos of the solar arch on our Facebook page. Follow the link from our website. On an average UK summer's day, our solar setup should give us between 50 to 60 amps of free energy, which, if you remember, is our average daily usage. So, while it's sunny-ish, we can stay out to play indefinitely, or at least until the food and water runs out. And if there's no sun, then we have two to three days of energy in hand before we need to worry. If you go down the solar route, a similar calculation will need to be made with your own figures. Although I would recommend squeezing as much useful solar on board as practical. Sometimes running your engine to recharge the batteries is your only option. But you might as well make it as efficient as possible. Our last two boats had a split diode as a standard. Which we swapped for a Sterling Power Products alternator to battery charger to try and squeeze more amps in when we do run the engine. Such as motoring in and out of anchorages. The Sterling A to B turns your alternator into a four-stage charger like a good shore power charger. Our top tip when running the engine for motoring is to get all the battery-powered devices on charge. Handheld VHF, mobile phones, laptops, portable gaming devices, etc. Kids, don't announce that you need to charge your Hokey Cokey 2000 when the engine has just been shut down after a few hours of motoring. When we do visit marinas, we have a Victron inverter charger. When plugged into shore power, it charges both battery banks and gives us mains power aboard. Away from the marina, the inverter option kicks in and we can use the domestic bank to provide 800 watts of 230 volts. We use our inverter to power a small portable kettle, a milk frother, a hand blender, the TV and Blu-ray player and any other device that only has a mains powered charger like some of our laptops. The real reason we actually installed the inverter was to have nice frothy coffee on board. Indeed. As a bonus, the inverter will also run or charge up any power tools we have aboard. Although the pontoon at our home berth does have shore power, we never plug in as the solar is more than capable of keeping the batteries happy. We don't want to run the risk of galvanic corrosion. That can be caused when linking your boat to all the others in the marina via the shore power cable for months on end. Power to the people. We have spoken about a 220 volt socket in the galley before. You should also scatter a few more sockets around the boat for convenience, at least one per cabin. We install main sockets that also contain USB charging ports. 
We have also dedicated USB sockets that are designed to fit the same hole as a car 12 volt power sockets. Our thinking is, if the technology changes, the holes will be a standard size for whatever replaces it. Although USB seems to be pretty much the standard these days. We have USB ports around the chart table to power a tablet running as a backup chart plotter. And an old smartphone fixed to a bulkhead is running all the boat apps, such as the Victron app to monitor the batteries and the soda charger. The phone also acts as an instrument repeater for our depth, wind and GPS data. The latest app to be installed on the phone is to monitor and control our new freezer. We'll do a review of the freezer later. Kickstart the engine. You turn the engine key and nothing happens, or more likely, the engine barely turns over. Your heart sinks and the lee shore is getting closer. What are your options? If you have a switch to join the battery banks together, now is the time to try it. Hopefully, your domestic bank isn't too discharged and your struggling engine battery should be helped in starting the engine. For some reason, our model of boat doesn't come with a paralleling switch as a standard. So we keep some jump leads handy, as the banks are next to each other, doesn't take long to join them together. We've had to do this twice before. We replaced the old engine battery, so we know it works fine. But what about the scenario where you have run your domestic bank down a tanker for a few days and there isn't enough juice between the banks to start the engine? A lithium-ion jumpstart pack. Jumpstart packs have come a long way. They are tiny, basically the size of a USB power pack, which is what they are, I guess, with an additional port for crocodile lips for jumpstarting. The one we have claims to start a 4-litre engine. We've yet to use it in anger, so it gets used as a portable charging bank for mobiles. We won't post a link or recommendation until we actually use it to start an engine. However, there are plenty of options out there. Let us know if you have a tried and tested model to recommend. Okay, so your boat is now ready to go. Good, because we will be spending many weekends on board having fun. But how do we navigate to our favourite anchoring spots? We will talk about that another time. Thank you for sticking us in your ears. Has anyone checked the feedback? We have had another lovely email from our regular listener, Clive. He has asked us a few questions. First, what cooker have we installed? Okay, so we bought a Dometic Sunlight cooker. It's a two-burner gas cooker with an oven, but no grill. We couldn't fit one with a grill actually into the space we've got, which was not really a big issue for us because we don't use the grill for much anyway. We've got two shelves in the oven. It cooks well, it's efficient, and it's easy to clean everything you need from a cooker. We have in the past had Force 10 cookers, which are very good quality, but the cooking experience on the Force 10 cookers is much the same as on our Dometic. And we've also had a Nelson spin flow cooker, which again gave a great cooking experience. That did have a grill, was a nice cooker and was my first choice for this boat, but they sadly don't seem to be selling them in the UK anymore. So we had to look further afield and I'm overall happy with my two-year-old Dometic. Next question is, what Chinese heating system did we install? We will put a link in the show notes to the eBay listing of the heater we bought. 
We checked it a couple of days ago and it was around £97. Which is about what we paid for it. However, if you're not in a hurry and you're prepared to wait, I've seen the same listing for £82 when they have a sale on and they have the sales on quite regularly actually. You'll probably spend more money on the ducting and the vents than the actual heater. The eBay listing is for a company with UK stock, so there's no import duty or tax to worry about. A quick note, do not install the silence that comes with the heater. It's designed for motor vehicles, so it's not airtight, so it will leak fumes. Not a problem on the outside of a car, but it's a big problem inside a boat. Final question. Where did we get the upgraded heater controller? It's called the Afterburner, and we will also put a link in the show notes. It's made by Ray in Australia. However, I've heard that he no longer ships to the UK, which is a real shame. I sent him an email a week or so ago and he hasn't responded, so I guess it's it's not dealing with UK individuals. Maybe you could get one delivered to Dublin Marina and pick it up on a circumnavigation of the United Kingdom. Good idea. We also need to give Clive a very big thank you as he's beaten the rush to support us and has very generously bought us our very first ice cream via the Happy Afloat website. Thank you! And we have had a message from Alex and his family who have recommended the fish and chips and Struther on the Firth of Forth. A contender for the best fish and chips in the UK, perhaps? Listen to episode four, Is UK Circumnavigation Better Than Sailing Around the World? for more details of our favourite chippy. Yeah, have you taken a look at, was it how we pronounced this? Oh, well, yes, us southerners are probably <laughs> not pronouncing it right. I googled it and looked at the various um, details and apparently it's known as Anster locally. All right. Have you had to look at Anster Harbour? I think I have when planning going up the east coast and it's a drying harbour, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's a drying harbour and it's got quite small berths and it's going to be perfect for what we were talking about in episode seven, which boat should you buy about getting the smallest boat your family can squeeze aboard because it's one of these perfect small harbours sneaking into and obviously you need a boat that's going to take the ground as well uh, not so, for us then no i don't think one we won't be able to squeeze our current boat in there and this boat isn't really designed to take the ground so i don't think we're going to be able to um check out that chippy oh shame do you love a chippy unless we come on the dinghy then we might squeeze in what, you mean anchor outside and then pop in on the dinghy to get some chips why not? Didn't we do something like that when there was no space on the pontoons in Tobermory? It's an option, I yeah. guess. <laughs> if you have any questions or chip shop recommendations, let us know. We love feedback. Send an email or posting on Facebook. All relevant links are on the website happyafloat.com. If you would like to help us grow, spread the word. As my mum says, it's nice to share. If you know someone who would enjoy the podcast, direct them to our website, happyafloat.com. From our website, they can listen to the podcast. Sharing is caring. And don't forget to follow us in your favourite podcast app, happyafloat.com. News and updates. Okay, Sarah, tell us about the freezer. So, after reading lots of online reviews, we have bought a portable Alpicool K18 fridge freezer, which can run on 12 volt power. It's a bit of a luxury, but we decided it would be a good idea to stash even more food on the boat. Whilst the Food Standards Agency recommends minus 18 to minus 20 degrees for a deep freeze, on a boat you're not freezing food indefinitely, and the turnaround time will likely be just a couple of weeks. 
We tested running the freezer at minus 18 and it was running the compressor more on than off and using about 60 amps a day. Having asked around for advice on temperatures suitable for running a boat freezer, with huge consideration on the battle of temperature versus amps, it turns out that about minus 10 degrees is quite acceptable. This valuable bit of info came from a host of liverboard cruisers with kids and they've not died of food poisoning yet. After much more time testing at varying temperatures, we found that the suggested minus 10 degrees resulted in the compressor running for 20 minutes every hour. The freezer draws 45 watts, so with all the calculations, this means it will eat up an acceptable 30 amps a day at minus 10. So the question everyone is waiting to be answered, did it fit on the boat? Yes. Any other news? We have sold our cruising chute. Why were we selling our cruising chute? We were selling it because it was too small for our boat. Yes. Previous owner obviously went to the boat show in 2003. And not only did he order his brand new boat, he also rushed around to the sailmaker to get himself a nice cruising chute for his brand new boat. And when both were delivered, he found out his boat was actually larger and his cruising chute was smaller. So when we bought the boat, it appeared to have never been used. I think we, we tried it twice and decided it was really not the right size for the boat. No, I didn't know it was bigger than the cruising yeah. chute. We've sold it on to fund a much larger cruising chute for our boat. Yeah, so it's pretty much brand new when it was mm. sold. And yeah, probably ever used, well, twice by us and presumably once by previous owner and then tucked away. <laughs> yeah, <used> it. <laughs> so it was pristine. So um, the new owners are quite happy with it. Mm. It's nearly new. It is. So our other big piece of news really is... We're podcasting from the boat for the first time this year. First time in ages. I think the last time we did a podcast from the boat was... Was Shorter Adventure 2020, or Summer Adventure, but I call it Shorter. Yes, and that was when we plonked a phone in the middle of the table. That was September. And now look at us, each with our own mic set up. Oh, don't draw back the curtains and reveal the (laughs) goings on behind the scenes. Oh, they have to look on Facebook for a photo of our setup. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Post with the camera... (laughs) <laughs> We're actually at anchor in our favourite anchorage, which is Stangate or Sharfleet, often called Sharkate or Stanfleet by us. Yeah, so we came out Friday evening. Because Boris said we could. No, it's because the tides were five. <laughs> no, we but we... <laughs> and we're not going to get up at five in the morning to come out. No, but it's the first weekend we can be out overnight on our boat. Yes, yeah, we're now we're now allowed to stay away. Yep. In self-contained accommodation. So we're in um, Stangate. There's quite a few other boats here, actually. There's 10 other boats mm-hmm. in Stangate and probably about four in Sharfleet. You've been twitching and counting. Yes. <laughs> With our new binoculars that are brilliant. So it's not as busy as we have seen in the past, but it's, no, it's not a bad turnout. For a chilly April weekend. And it is now Sunday morning, and we've taken this opportunity to test the freezer to see how much it's going to draw. So we've filled it up with um, ice packs and what have you to keep it frozen and seeing how that's working out. And that's working quite well. Actually, I wonder if we should run through how many amps we've used with the new freezer. Well, last night, for example, we had movie nights. So we watched a movie for how long was that? One hour and 43 minutes. Right, so one hour and 43 minutes we had the movie on. We also had the heating on. We were running the fridge and the freezer. And by the morning, we had used 35 amps. And with the solar, probably uh, put it all back in by now. And it's what? 11 o'clock. 
Winner. Winner. 10.50. It is a nice sunny day. That just means the solar charges up quicker. But then it's not the height of summer. The sun is still relatively low in the sky. We're yielding half the amount that the solar could do. But then it's all designed for the average day. If this we say this is an average day, then on sunny days we're going to be sort of no getting a lot, lot, lot more. We've discovered all the things that we haven't got on the boat because we haven't been out for four months, mostly cooking things. Yes, the baking department. The baking department's had a bit of a fail this weekend. Very good job. <laughs> no, I have to sack the baking department. I think and get new crew there. Um, yeah, the solar panel's keeping up with all the demands we're putting, the new demands we're putting on the system, so that's good. Been a good mini shakedown cruise, I suppose. Yeah, we'll be leaving, what, in a couple of hours? Well, it doesn't look like we've got any wind to go back, so we're going to have to motor back. We had to motor here because the wind was right on the nose. We sailed for the last ten minutes. Yeah, we've got yeah, a little bit of a sail in. So our leave is between 12 and 1. As we're motoring, we can probably leave by 1 or 12.30 but if we were sailing then we'd have to leave at 12 o'clock I did a whole breakdown the other day So when we do do the navigation episode you'll be able to go into it a lot more detail Yay! Any other news? The weird glitch on our navigation app seems to jump us all the way to the top of Africa and back Yeah, I think it was getting confused with the downstairs um, chart plotter that's running on a tablet. Yes. Usually the trip that's about nine miles is what? How many miles did we do, according to the chart plotter? About 4,300. All right. Well, you're not allowed to put that in your logbook, so that doesn't really count. (laughs) But it was really weird. Next time aboard Happy Afloat. How we navigate to the sweet spots. Until Until next time, happy sailing. sailing!